Headliner Radio, the creative voice. A very warm welcome to Headliner Radio. Today I have the pleasure of chatting to Al Groves. He's a UK-based producer and mixer who's had over a decade worth of studio experience. Uh, Al, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Wow, thanks for having me. I'm really, really well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, mate, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be chatting to you today. How, how are... Uh, how are things? How are things been for you recently, Al? Have you? Uh, where are you? Where are you joining us from today? Uh, well, I'm at home in Liverpool, um, yep. a mile from my studio, which is the Moats Museum, uh, which is in South Liverpool. Yes, um, it's in this really nice kind of South Liverpool. is beautiful and very leafy and sort of parky. So um, I'm just looking out the window at, at that now. Lovely. Um, and things are being um, great, to be honest. Uh, busy with personal life busy with work life busy with trying to not catch covid yeah um, yeah all that stuff <laughs> same for everyone i think but they're really good really grateful that it's it's going very well in what could have been a much more complicated scenario yeah yeah no that's that's good to hear man obviously it was you know when all this first came about it was uh it was a bit of a, a shocker for everyone obviously it and it, it kind of <laughs> shut everything down and there was a lot of uncertainty but um yeah it sounds like things mate on your end have probably picked up a little bit i know it's it's obviously been a while now you know eight, about 18 months to, yeah. to two years but um yeah things are things have started gradually picking up again haven't they yeah to, to be honest it's been really you're right it could have been much worse and i've been i think really fortunate that um, clients artists and music has, has actually had like a really high perceived value when when events and live music has disappeared for, or been on hiatus for a while I think a lot of people realise that original content with whether it be music, recorded music yeah, or yeah. video content or any of those kind of things, it, it's so valuable and really is the heartbeat of, uh, of especially the music industry, the guitar band industry that I work in, it yeah. is everything. Um, so in a sort of counterintuitive way, it, it's the demand has been enormous and we've actually had to really hustle to keep up with it. Yeah. Um, and um but i think fortunately as well the, the kind of certainly recording industry the people who exist in that are, are generally very detail orientated very responsible very motivated people yes. who really if they're going to do something they'll really do it as best they can and a bit better so um you know you kind of look at recording studios with covid um, safety measures and yeah. trying to keep everyone safe and and those guys including myself are, are actually kind of like trying to go above and beyond yes. because we, we care about that kind of thing you know yeah, of course. Everyone still wants to to be able to do their thing um, safely, yeah. obviously. And it's just, I think it's just been a case of you know everyone adapting in their own way. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, like you say, I mean, off the call a minute ago, you said you kind of uh, you know you've made a little home setup, a uh, little mixing little mixing setup at home, which is uh, yeah. you know it's it's just one way of kind of being able to just uh, just crack on, really, isn't it? You know. Definitely, um, definitely. Well, I ended up, it's, it's really for, for tweak to that kind of thing. As, as much as I've tried to mix in the box and on headphones and at moments, I just cannot get, cannot get results that I feel are yeah. equitable to, to what I'm aspiring to. So I still have to mix it studio on the console and things like that, but then yeah, yeah. I can condense it down to stems, which I do anyway, and then bring it home. If, you know, if I have, usually get mixed notes overnight. Yeah. And, um, and it's usually, you know, a little bulleted list of can we have this vocal up or down or yeah, yeah, yeah. extra reverb, or whatever, you know, minor things. And it's, that's, it's easier to be more practical to do that at home on, the, on this little pro tool setup on a set of headphones. It takes me kind of 15 minutes and I could be more responsive to clients rather than having to, um, say, oh, I've got to book a half an hour slot in the studio. Yeah. It might take me 10 days to do it and, you know, fire back to you for approval and again. So this way it's just much faster. And to be honest, I think the whole COVID situation made the, 
it, it, I was doing it before that anyway, but it meant that there's a lot more resources and options now to do this better. Yes. Um, because people were forced to bring work home more. So it meant that there's now more products and there's more services and things like Zoom, that, as far as I was aware, didn't exist prior to COVID. Yeah. Um, so that there's quite and there's quite a lot of sort of what's um, uh, sort I'm looking for. People are uh, familiar now with remote working. Yeah, absolutely. Which means that it's a much more natural way of doing it as well. So it's good. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been streamlined the whole remote working thing, hasn't it? And it's it's kind of yeah. working. It works for some people. It, it, it doesn't for others, but um it's definitely something that people have been adopting more um yeah, and uh, and yeah for the most part it works i mean <clears throat> i understand you started off um working in studios you're a bit of a bit of a go-to guy for for, yeah, guitar, for guitar sounds in the northwest of england um I, just curious to know going back a little bit here al obviously um tell us a little bit about how you helped set up uh sandhill studio in liverpool yeah, yeah. um which was quite sure. a spot obviously for some time and i know we'll talk okay. about the most museum as well in a sec but um tell us about sort of how you got started and and you know sort of started off in the uh, in the world of music production yeah sure so i um i moved to Liverpool when i was 18 to do a actually a computing course at the university i didn't really have any kind of understanding of the music industry or certainly not the recording industry by then um and i but i had a really vested interest in in creating music not really so much performance. I'm just not really that kind of person, but mm. very much in the mechanics of just how it's made and how it come, how it goes from you know being a guitar into being a record, and it yes. just seemed like a really fun thing yeah. to be involved in, and 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 challenging as well. So, um, but I didn't really. It was the kind of thing that you used to see on videos and DVDs and and behind the scenes footage of, and you thought that happened in a in a distant past or in you know, exists in the UK. I've never interfaced with that before. Yeah. So it's kind of a very engineering degree. Really want a career in, in company or anywhere near it, um, but just sort of fell into it by proxy, really. Um, and I also realised that I think I was kind of done with education at that time and the whole academic route. I just wasn't interested. I wanted to learn you now things that interested me rather than be taught something on somebody else's curriculum. So it was a bit of a sort of uh, a bit of a train <laughs> hit me in those first few days. And I was so fortunate that um, in Liverpool, there's a thing called Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. Yeah, Lippa, which yeah. is Lippa, that's right, yeah, which is more or less a kind of the, 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 the best, most committed recording engineering uh, school in the country, I would say. Yes. And um, I just fell on my feet and befriended a guy who was in his third year there who um, would take me into the studios and just when we were kind of going you know, passing it, I'm just going to nip up there and pick something up or whatever. And I remember walking into the big, the big sort of flagship control room in the other days and going, wow, I didn't realise that this was so close on my doorstep and yeah. you could actually study this and you could learn it. And it was, it was a feasible thing to have a career in. So um, took a, a, I'd already decided that I wasn't going to pursue this software engineering course, but was just waiting it out to see what I could do instead. Yeah. Um, and uh Took took a few weeks to try and say, well, could I kind of restart? Can the you know uh, defer first year, go back into well, start again, go into Lipper, study software engineering. Uh, sorry, study, uh, recording and sound engineering, and kind of go that way. And for basically for financial reasons, and I didn't have any of the the um, academic A levels that you'd need to get into Lipper. Um, it, that was a non-starter. Just kind of well, I thought you know what, I'll just teach myself, and I'll just. I'm so motivated by it, so passionate, and I've really found a bug here that I'm staying up yeah. all night reading Sound on Sound magazine and Resolution and yeah, all those yeah. things and trying to trying to absorb every bit of knowledge and experience of anything I could. But it was pretty clear to me that this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Mm. So I um, started doing that. Started recording, doing what everybody does, you know, 
gathering bits of crap equipment and starting to work, figure out how it all works and how microphones get into cracked copies of Cubase and, yeah, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff and stealing all the recording books and, you know, all that, all that kind of thing. And um, did about a year of, of sort of fiddling around doing it that way and just really understanding the basics of it. And in that time, I, again, had another friend who was a little bit older than me who I met when I moved to Liverpool who we were both really interested in certain guitar bands and gigs and stuff and we just see each other at gigs all the time. And he, uh, he was in the music industry, he was a pharmacist, but he had grown up around music all his life and he just started his young family and um, his, his pharmacy sort of empire was, was growing and it, it was realising that he just didn't have time for his hobbies, which was basically music anymore. And I think he really wanted to still have something that kept him involved in that. We got talking over a beer one night and he said that his, his passion would be to have a, a little rehearsal studio business on the side, just for kind of the pleasure of it, really. And I was like, well, this is really interesting because I really need some premises to make a recording studio out of and I can't do it in my, in my house anymore. And, uh, and I kind of want to make a go of this and I feel ready to have a crack. So I said, well, if you if you need someone to run the recording studio, the rehearsal room business without it, you know, someone you can trust and you didn't have to pay much to, I'll be up to doing that for you. If you give me a room rent free that I can use as my recording studio and, yeah. and we'll help each other out. And long story short is that became Santal Studio. But somewhere in that process, I started dropping pictures of Abbey Road and Psalm West mm-hmm. and uh, Lindhurst. These, you know, these incredible, unbelievable recording studios I started sending them to. And he's like, mm, maybe rehearsal rooms are a bit dingy. Maybe yeah. go for something a bit more exciting, like a recording studio. So we kind of built this very postage stamped size version of Air Lindhurst or Abbey Road oh, in great. a basement in Northern North, uh, North Industrial Estate in Oakville. But it was actually amazing. And I think the fact that he and I really cared about it and we really wanted to do something cool, we put so much toil into it. Yeah. He he was amazing. He put all the money in. He just, I, I don't know why I did it, but he trusted me with the, um, well, so he, he put money in. He trusted me to to not squander it all. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And, yeah, and I just, I think he saw that I really wanted to do it. I'm yeah. really motivated. I'll drop everything that I could to do it. And um, and it worked really well. We were there for six years. And, and he's still you know, a really good friend of mine now. Um, we, we don't work together anymore, but we're, we're very good friends. And yeah, um, and to be honest, I really owe him. His name is Mark. I, I really owe Mark kind of most of my start of my career, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So without him, I don't think I'd be talking to you now. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it sounds like a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but something that was obviously you were both super passionate about it and dedicated and, yeah. and, um, and just threw yourselves into it. And obviously it paid off, um, which, yeah, is, definitely. which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no. I was just going to say. I think. I think that you, you're right. There was a lot of blood. There was a lot of sweat. I mean, <laughs> he and I. We had, we had. We had some. We had some builders as well. But he and I sort of did a lot of it by hand, yeah, and you yeah. know, lots of late nights painting things and sanding things and putting bits of cable in. And it was a real kind of. Um, you call it like a baptism of fire, but I think that's kind of yeah. really molded. Or a labour of love, like, as they would. Uh, a labour yeah, of love, exactly. Yeah. But I think that that kind of like drive has, has, I've seen that happen to me again and again over the years where you kind of go, well, I don't need to wait for someone to tell me I can do it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Or I don't need, maybe I don't know necessarily how the outcome is going to be just yet, but I'm, or what the process is going to be, sorry, but I know the outcome I'm aspiring yes. to and I will one way or the other just get through it. And Mark kind of had that as well. And yeah. Mark taught me a lot about um, kind of commerce and business in those early days and, and just how to, how to treat things. What the obviously his business background and his pharmacy was really helpful. And I think had I just gone into it on my own, just purely based on on the creative side, I don't think I would still be here now because yeah. the finances wouldn't work. But yeah, Mark yeah. maybe understand what you need to make things tick, but also how much how is that valuable or is the creative side more valuable? And and um, so I think that that kind of partnership was absolutely essential in the early days. 
Yeah, that's wicked. That's wicked. Yeah, and and if I fast forward a few years out, you said you was there around about six years at, at Sandhills. That's right. Yeah, from two thousand and I think it opened in the middle of two thousand and six. Okay, I was there until the end, very end of two thousand and twelve. Okay, and then so when did you take over the lease on the Motor Museum? Because I mean, that's one of Liverpool's most iconic studios really now it's you know the likes of arctic monkeys oasis the 1975 have recorded there um yeah amazing i mean tell us about how how that came about so that was that was literally right at the very the very end of 2012 um end of december and that trying to care about uh so when i was at sandhills a guy producer really well-known producer called Mike Crossy um, was the leaseholder at the Motor Museum from around about, I think it was around 2008, 2012. Right. And I met Mike, Mike, obviously Mike started his career as a house engineer then when he was fresh out of Lipper, did, you know, really excelled, moved down to London, went independent and did his thing in London for a while and then wanted a base and came back to Liverpool for four or five years Okay. in the Motor Museum. And I originally met Mike because he was looking for um, a Liverpool-based engineer to sort of to run the most museum for him as kind of engineers projects and we just had a mutual friend and we were put together and um to be honest i was a shocking engineer for somebody else because i didn't realize at the time i was just too naive and too young but mm. i just wanted to be in the in the front seat all the time and my my aspiration was to produce everything and be you know have that kind of career outlook and i didn't older more experienced me now realizes at the time i wanted somebody who was a great engineer who would assist mike not try and not try and kind of step over the line so we didn't really, that didn't click, but we became quite good friends just through being really passionate about, about the art of it and, um, you know, very like-minded, driven kind of people. And um, and so Mike and I built a quite a good, good friendly relationship that way. And he, again, he was somebody in the other days that really influenced me and, and moulded me and kind of was very supportive of me then. When, um, so Mike and I would go out, you know, we'd go to dinner, we'd have social events and stuff. And he knew that I felt like my time at Sandals was coming to an end just purely because um, I think and my work was growing to the point where I needed a better sounding facility. And as much as I loved Sandhills and, and, and Mark and everything that was going on there, mm. there was just certain physical limitations that we were never going to accomplish because it was it was underground. So the ceiling height was a thing. So the, the live room was only ever going to sound a certain way. And the control room was only ever going to sound a certain way because it was built after the fact rather sure. than built yeah, as yeah. a dedicated, you know, acoustically great sounding room. Things like that. And also just its location and meant that the, the business was kind of never really going to scale up from there. So I was never going to get the artists and the projects that I, thought, I felt like I needed to, to keep pushing yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 2012 was kind of a bit of a frustrating year for me because I just felt like I was hitting a rut and I didn't really have a lot of options. And there was a bit of uh, a bit of sort of self-realisation to say, I need to make some changes, but I almost didn't really know what where, where, where to start. So Mike was was great and he was kind of, you know, lots, there's lots of wisdom, lots of help there. And then, it transpired that Mike, um, for, for sort of family life reasons, wanted to move to London, but he was tied into a lease in Liverpool for the Motor Museum. And Andy, who is the until recently the previous owner of the Motor Museum, who was both mine and and Mike's uh, landlord, is a group great friends with, with all three of us. So okay. um, I think Mike, the sentiment was that Mike didn't really want to let Andy down and break his lease early because you know they're very good friends. Yes. So and, and he sort of put two together and thought, well, Al is looking for a better facility. I'm kind of looking for a way out and I don't want to let, and I'm looking for someone who isn't going to let Andy down. Oh, do you want to, would you be interested in taking over this motor museum? Mm. And this was something like February of 2012. And I was obviously with Mark at the time and me and Mark had a really, you know, we spent a good few weeks thinking about it and, and I really desperately wanted to do it. And Mark kind of said, we did a lot of sums, a lot of thinking and, and Mark was like, if we, if we just don't know if the numbers are going to work that yeah, we were both looking to do it, but 
it's a it, we might let we don't want to let someone down basically yeah, we don't yeah, want yeah. to say to Andy yes we can do it but then not have the business model to to actually support that and I think there was an element of like trying to be responsible people and not wreck our reputation so yes. so initially actually I had to go back to Mike and I was kind of really disappointed but say I just I just don't think right now I'm ready with with what I can achieve to make it happen yeah. and Mike was like well do you know what I'll don't worry about that because I've just signed on for the six months worth of records and I don't know if I want to go yet and you know it's 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 everything is good for me here so you know just put it on hold and don't think about it yeah and I kind of forgot about it and uh just cracked on wait waiting for another opportunity in that year to just see what what would happen tomorrow type mm. thing. And then um, we get to the middle of November 2012, and, and out of the blue, I get a message from Mike saying, uh, "Hey, Alex, it's Mike. We should go for beers this week. We're going to be leaving in a couple of weeks. Okay, it'd be, it'd be great to see you before I head off back to London." And then, P.S. I've told Andy that you'll be taking over the motor museum. He's going to give you a call shortly. And then, literally, before I even got to the bottom of that message, Andy's phone rings. So those <laughs> two guys must have been must have been together. <laughs> and, uh, and and the next thing is, you know, hey, Alex, Andy McCluskey, you know thrilled that you want to take on the motor museum let's see how we can make it work and and we did it so mike kind of gave me a, a, a huge push over the off the edge yeah and um unfortunately andy was was again has become a really close friend and he's a real gentleman about um he said you know what what's this what's the struggle for you to get you in and what can i do to to make that struggle a bit more manageable for yeah, you yeah yeah and you know it's, and, it, and it was also a case of look give it a shot if after a year or so it's not working for you we'll there'll be no hard feelings we'll just shake hands and go back to how it was but fortunately, um, it worked really, really, really well. Yeah. And uh, I was at least holding there for, uh, God, eight, eight years until I actually bought it uh, in July nice. of this year. Nice. Oh, I bet that's a nice feeling, actually owning the place now, really. you know. It, it, to... Well, I mean, I've got it's, it, 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 when it breaks, it costs me now. <laughs> so <laughs> yes and nice no. It's good. So yes and no. <laughs> yeah. but, um, oh, it no, sounds like it sounds like the stars sort of aligned a little bit for you to for you to take over the place though, Al. Like everything kind of, you know, I know there was a little bit of a um, a moment maybe in, in 2012 when you um, thought it wasn't going to happen, but it sounds like it all came together really nicely in the end. Yeah, it did. yeah, that's absolutely right. It did, and I, I think I look back at some of the sort of milestones of my career, not necessarily in terms of my act, but just opportunities that have happened yeah, that have gone my yeah, way. Yeah. And, and I think God, I, I've been so lucky that so many kind people have been really generous to me over the years mm. and trusted me or been given me a rope to climb up on. And yeah. And, um, and yeah, that was one of those. That was one of the really significant ones, to be honest. And to, to be to be frank, since even just moving into that museum as a leaseholder, everything kind of changed from from the day after that to be honest everything yeah. started to fall into place career-wise as well yeah amazing amazing I mean that brings me on quite nicely Al to to talk about some of the acts that you've worked with um mm. over the course of your career bring me the horizon uh cast yeah. who are obviously a local Liverpool band um and I know you've also kind of helped develop a, a whole bunch of, of new talent and upstarts mm. um, working with new bands um what kind of bands and artists do you do you enjoy working with the most now I guess you've always been drawn to guitar based acts right yeah I mean so guitar just because that's in my DNA really it's yeah, yeah. What, I'm a guitar player that's what got me into music when I was about 14 sure. um, it's just it's just a vocabulary that I, that I speak very fluently but and, and I think what I like about guitar music is the originality of it generally in that there's a live element to it that's unique every every night. Yes. Um, there's a songwriting element that's always unique. It's it's an organic, it's a, a natural thing. As much as I do, I really love electronic. I'm grown to love uh, really grown to love electronic music. There's and, and there is a lot of that. There's a different set of sort of unique experiences in that. I yeah. just think there's something about about instruments and guitars that are 
I don't know, just exciting to me every day. I can't really say it any, any other way. But what I'm drawn to, it doesn't have to have guitars in it. I just really love remarkable music and remarkable artists. Yes. Um, I, and to be honest, if I could speak the language of, of let's say, grime or hip-hop or pop music or jazz or whatever yeah. I, I, would, I may well be working in that it's just i just don't have a very broad vocabulary in that really yeah um but i just i just want an artist who has something to say and they can say it in a really impassioned kind of provocative or relatable you know exciting way yeah yeah absolutely and i'm curious to know a bit about your i mean it, i guess it must vary depending on what kind of projects you're working in what kind of what kind of band you're working with um but tell us a little bit about your your approach and your kind of creative process Al and and do you think that kind of lends itself particularly well to a certain musical style obviously we're talking about guitar here so metal bands um but obviously acoustic (coughs) as well I don't know if you're more um on the kind of you know the, the the rock metal side of things but um yeah tell us about you know, if you say you you know a band comes into the studio with you, what's your what's your typical kind of um, process and your approach to to get to get a track started? I think that the thing, the very very first thing I always do is I try and ask the band to tell me what they're here for, or or you know what what they're trying to do with themselves, whether it be why you know, on a particular day or what's their goal right now. What are they trying to achieve with yeah. with everything in their career at that particular point? And I'll just try and get them to to really immerse me in their headspace in their world and, and to be honest that's probably one of the most important things I've learned to do over the years um, regardless of anything to do with sonics or, or production decisions it's more just to become a, an ally of the band and, and part of the band's inner circle Yeah, because uh, I kind of think without that it, it, the, the, especially in the guitar music the, the, the production world is so um, democratised now because everybody's really good and everybody yeah. can have access to very similar tools and everybody can learn from you know the online learning resources are, are amazing and so diverse that there's not a lot of sort of um, secrets or, or, yeah. or yeah. you know stuff anymore. I don't think that's a bad thing or a good thing. I think it's just just as just as it develops. But the point is that it becomes much more down to your people skills and your individual creativity sure. to define what a producer's value is. And and the, again, it's very difficult to say what's right or wrong or best. It's just at that particular time, yeah. that artist is trying to achieve something. And if I if I'm also trying to achieve something in my own art, or I have a particular experience or set of skills that I know I could deploy that with this particular scenario and it will help that artist achieve what they want to achieve then, yeah. then I am the right person for that job but similarly I might be completely the wrong person so I try and ascertain what they really want what would be a win for them early on a lot of people something that I'm probably I'm kind of being fairly successful or consistent on is, is things like streaming and, and uh, Spotify playlisting yes I don't know particularly why I get good results on that I just do um, and, it, and it's you know pr- pretty kind yeah um, but that's that's one of the things I've heard many time and time again it, it's it used to be when I was quite young it was kind of radio play and, and that's sort of a little bit late to the radio play bo- uh, boat because yeah radio play isn't really a big thing so much anymore and and just as I was kind of becoming consistent and and, and recognizable it was all about Spotify really so uh, lots of bands will say to me you know we really want to break onto a Spotify editorial playlist or we really want to have something that is the quality or the sort of impact is, is is competitive enough to sit on New Music Friday or the Indie yeah. List or whatever these yeah, things yeah. are. Um, but and that tells me an awful lot about what the band what the bands are trying to achieve right now and what's going to be again a win for them. Um, kind of once we've got that out of the way, then I, I really try to understand what who the personalities in the band are, who are the introverts mm. and who are the extroverts, and who is is there a leader in the band and is there anybody that's kind of subservient or you know 
not to say a bit, but more of a sort of yeah, like a supporting role. role backseat, who yeah. are the strikers? Who are the goalkeepers? Who in the band? You know, are there any kind of interpersonal dynamics of the band that are actually key to that band's identity? Sometimes it can be, you know, friction. Yes. Other times it can be very much supportive, nurturing kind of roles. I see a lot, um, and I, and I try and kind of understand how the people work, mm. and again, so that they and, and, tell, and tell them a little bit about how I work and what, why I love. I mean, I'm trying to come to this with a really supportive attitude to say, I love your band because of this, and I love all these things, and I really want everybody else that comes across your music to love it the way that I do. Yeah. And I try and be like this great big enormous mouthpiece for why I love a particular artist, and. Um, and once you kind of, it doesn't take, you know, this is all happens within the first hour of meeting me, but you kind of build this trust and this sense of, I'll say because he wants to be here, not because we wanted to be here, because actually he wants to be in this room with us and doing these things and making yeah. making yeah. A, a little piece of, of micro history with all of us. Yeah. And, um, and and that's kind of where we get started. And then there'll be, and then I, in terms of kind of in the studio, it, um, it actually varies all the time. Um, sometimes I'll make projects that are, recorded as a band although that's less common these days for some reason a lot of it now it's kind of defaults to being built up piece by piece by piece for whatever reason okay um but uh the, the concept is the same i try and work really fast so um I try and get lots of things happening quite early on uh, Do you usually start with like all... a, a, a um like a baseline or like a melody or some chords or is, is it sort of quite lyric driven or is it always does it always start with guitar for you Really? Um, or do, uh, again, it must. Uh, I guess it must depend. Depend. You know who you're working. It really with. does. You know. Yeah. It depends. And generally, it's. Hmm, I don't even know. Sometimes you don't even know what you're going to no, do. I know. So I can. You just hear something. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I really like that. Now that's got my mind going. And you just it, start chucking things in, don't you? And it just whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Exactly. It, I'm trying to think. Of the last thing I did. Uh, it was about two weeks ago. That I, the last sort of song I started from scratch with someone. Mm. And um, I'm pretty certain it started with a, a guitar. In fact, it definitely was. It was like a palm muted guitar thing just on one chord for ages. Right. And then as they were doing that, I was kind of there. Well, someone, and there was a melody flying around the room, and I kept recording snippets of the melody, and I just chuck it in places and trying to make like a chord progression out of it. So it can be all the best stuff that I work on at the writing stage is done where you don't have any idea what you're supposed to start with. You just yeah. get stuck in. It, it, it's, and you fluke it. And one day... One day I'll understand how I'm fluking it, but right now I actually don't. <laughs> you just go with the flow. Um, yeah. And also something I've learned over the years is to actually try and, it's, and it's really hard to do it, to try and care less. If you really go into something saying, I really want this to be great and I really want this to be the biggest song I've done or the best hit, doesn't it never is. Whereas if you just go and be like, yeah. you know, I know these people really well, we're all friends, we're all really comfortable, let's just suck it and see and have a cup of tea and let's just get the guitars out and see what happens. They're always by far the best the best things that I do. Yeah, set the um, set the bar of expectation, right. you know, reasonably kind of low, mid tier, and then and then you'll be uh and then you'll be pleasantly surprised with with the results, I guess. Um absolutely I think there's a little bit of sort of um you end up kind of, it's like a bit satirical, you end up sort of surprising yourself by how confident you are yeah. when you make life harder for yourself. Where you just go, we're going to go with nothing, no preparation. We're just going to walk in on Tuesday morning at 9.30 and just start doing something. And, you know, we'll tell the manager, we'll tell them everyone's kind of, you know, we're delivering it to at the end of, the, end of a couple of days. Yeah. We're going to have something brilliant for you. And they're like, have you got any demos? No, we haven't done it yet. <laughs> but, but don't worry, because it'll be great. And you kind of have this, it's, it's almost like arrogance, but you don't mean it to be. It's kind of like, let's see what we can do with no prep. Yes. And you yeah. get, you go two hours in and you're like, 
this is working really well. And you always chuckle to yourself because you go, it should be, it should be harder than this or it should be riskier, but yeah. we're just somehow fluking it. Keep, keep <laughs> up the facade. And that, it, it just seems to work <laughs> somehow. <laughs> brilliant brilliant and i know you said that you know um it, it, the kind of industry's become so polarized now that um there isn't really any kind of industry secrets anymore as such um but i can tell you're a guy who who's full of ideas although you know half the time it's uh, it's all about winging it obviously um but um <laughs> have you got any particular um i guess uh, production tips and tricks that that you you generally pass on or, or that you that you that you employ sometimes or is it just kind of yeah yeah i mean the the tips and tricks are just doing something very well i think is and it's a crap thing to say but so for example when i if i'm mixing a, a, a track a lot lots of people when they understand or hear about how i mix they're really surprised by how minimal the, my process is mm-hmm. it's very old once well, it's old school but it's very much like a sort of 90s era thing where it's a big ssl console or a big console like that with automation and a bus compressor and some reverbs and delays and, and not, not really much else. And it's just really good balances, really well executed EQ moves and just being really, just, just listening a lot and just doing the, doing, using the fundamentals really effectively. I don't do any parallels or any sort of like that, aux compression or, you know, subgroups or nothing very clever. Yeah. It's really quite, quite basic stuff, but, it, but I do it in a way that I listen to everything I do and I'm very discerning about how I do it. And that's what, to me, that's what makes it fun, actually, because I can kind of, or makes it, makes it exciting when I can kind of go, I can do so much with so little. And yeah. that's, that, to me, is, is the art, rather than having to have like a shopping list of 100 things before you, before you can even start your mix off. Um, so so, but, 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 so my, my biggest tip is just to listen to everything really closely and A, B, everything and say, is what you're doing actually better or is it just a bit louder? Yes. Or is it just a bit, you know, is it, are you fooling yourself because the button is lit up and that must be better and it's not? Yeah, um, not just kind of doing stuff for the sake of it, almost just, yeah. 100%, 100% yeah, 100%. And, and, think, and, and, and really what I'm trying to do is focus the, the sound of the mix rather than, um, I suppose, like, I think sometimes people think that you create a sound in a mix yeah. and, and I don't think you do. I think you create the sound of the production, obviously, and on a multi-track. And I think the mix is really just about bringing everything into bringing focus. Bringing it to the front, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and shading and, and colouring it in the way that you get the, the, the right amount of definition that suits the song and the right amount of intensity and the vocal things. And there isn't, it's not always about more intensity or more this. It's about what is the most expressive amount, I think. Yes. Um, and, and in terms of, but in terms of like more finite production stuff, something that I do every time, for example, when I'm recording drums, there's kind of two two patterns I'll do. One is um, I'll parallel compress a lot of things actually to the bus with the track. So I'll take, for example, a kick drum, and I'll usually make a kick drum with with a mic inside, mm. uh, like an SM7 that I really like inside, and um, a sub kick on the outside. Mm. And another one, two faders on the console, and I'll balance them and process them the way I want it to sound. And then I'll bust them to one bus and just print it as one kick track. But it sounds kind of like, you know, basically finished from there. But then I also send that to a second bus on the console, and that bus goes to a compressor that, you know, one's not necessarily smashed, but it's certainly yeah. overtly compressing that you can hear the action of the compression. And then that then comes back on the console and it feeds into the print bus with the kick. So I'm effectively, well, I am okay. parallel compressing the kick to tape when it's all printed together. Yeah. And that's something I've been doing for about two years, and I will never not do that. It's so effective. And um, I do that with kick, snare, occasionally toms uh, but not not that often um and it just means that your drums your drum multi-tracks are 
you know, like 85% of the finished drum mix yeah. is, is printed to the tape. And it's so, it's exciting because you go, look what I can do. And I, and I can do it so, so quickly. And yeah. you you know that it's so difficult to kind of wreck that later on because it's baked in. You can't undo yes. a lot of it. And that's actually a good thing if you get it right. Um, and then um, and I also try and do keep my track counts low. Uh, so that's why I'm quite happy to bust things together and print things. I might I often have more than one pair of room mics for drums and I'll print them all to one stereo track of rooms and I'll just make decisions there and then. Yeah. So ideally, if you open up a, a more track, I'll do the drums will maybe be across in Pro Tools kind of eight to ten uh, tracks mm. and it's all baked in and, and all done excuse me um and, and i just think that kind of i, I know i know it's, people have described it as like an old school kind of way i'm sure it is but i think a lot of it is it you, you become confident so that you can't make a mess of it later because you can't undo things that you know are good at the time yeah, yeah. but also it, feed, it does feed you you kind of your, your constructive ego a little bit because you can say I, I'm confident because this is cool and it works really well, yeah. and it makes me feel motiv- makes me feel kind of like uh, legitimate in a way. Well, yeah, it's, it's a real I'm making good decisions. Uh, yeah, and it's a proper kind of technique that you're using, isn't it? It's something that you've actually thought about how you how am I going to get the best out of this mix? Like you say, often it comes about in a, in a quite a minimal way. You want to do stuff without too much faff um, yeah. and having to to go back to a mix and what have you. So you want that you want that kind of um, almost finished product from from the off really um yeah. so that you well, definitely not, yeah. and it was it was kind of born from i remember it, it, very vividly the, the reason it happened when i uh well there's two reasons but the primary one is um i think it was about nine or ten years ago it was the first experience i would had where someone and, and to be honest I, the mix i delivered was rubbish anyway in hindsight i just didn't get it at all but it was something that i really cared, a project i really cared about and i really felt like i was i, was, I really wanted to be the person attached to this all the way through and um, so management were involved and some and much bigger people than I was at the time. And, um, and they were like, look, Al, we really like what you're doing so far, but we need to get someone else in to mix it to help you. And this will only be a good thing for your work because it will help your work. And I was really gutted, to be honest, and, and you know, really wanted to, didn't really want to have to help have someone prop me up. I wanted to know that I could do it myself. And, um, but, you know, obviously gave them, gave them much of over and, and learned that experience, you know, the, the right way. But, I think at the time I'm advising to myself, if this is going to happen again and again and again, I want some, I want whoever gets it next to go, even though I might not nail the mix, the production and the tracking is so good. And you give it, it's given me such a, uh, such a brilliant uh, advantage because the multi-track sounds great and I don't have to work very hard. Yeah. And yeah. I'll just maybe get the mix through to perspective, not because of this lack of skill. So I always kind of had that little, um, that, that determination and that sort of quality control in there to say the multi-track's got to sound great and it's got to be as pro and it's kind of, you know, impressive as it gets. And um, and that has done me really well over many, many years. And, and actually, the second part of it is that the more capable you become as a mixer and the more successful mixes you get, you know, that go over the line, the more you realise that tracking that way makes your job as a mixer so much easier because yes. there's a lot less to do. It's, there's no damage control. It's purely mixing and moving forward rather than having to, you know, prop up stuff that you did that you fucked up maybe. Yes, yes. Absolutely, and I, I, again, that meet, leads me quite nicely on to um, to talk about some of the tools that you're using in your in your workflow, Al. Because mm. you know, like you just said, um, doing things you you know you find yourself doing things in in quite a minimalistic way sometimes. But um, uh, off the call, we were talking about Oak Sound plugins, Soothe and Spiff, yeah. um, 
two plugins that have become ridiculously popular in the last few years since they've come out um and and yeah. soothe especially is is obviously um a massive time saver and, and and one that it's it's very it's almost too easy to use isn't it it's too it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it tell, i mean tell us about the first time i suppose you started you started using soothe al so i used to it, 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 excuse me i think i i was shown to really really early on it was i can't remember how many years maybe let's say three years ago something like that. yeah so it's brand new and i don't remember who showed me it but i remember being this was soothe one as well the kind of the more rudimentary version of it i remember being absolutely knocked out because i could what you could do with soothe and i still do now you didn't change the frequency balance of it you changed the kind of the, the density of those frequencies, which I thought was incredible. Yes. You could make a sound thin, but still have bottom end or still have kind of, you know, um, presence in a mix and, and clarity, but it didn't have to be weighty anymore or vice versa. You could make something quite bright and quite, you know, extended at the top end and quite vivid, but it didn't have to be particularly, you know, sharp or hard sounding. Yeah. So I kind of always think of mixes in a three-dimensional kind of way. And with frequency, I think of it as that's your top and that's, that's like how high and how low the, 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 the sound extends. But then Soothe allows you to say how solid or how transparent is that sound in the mix and how kind of, is it almost like a hologram or is it no, an actual tangible physical thing that you can't push through? Mm. So um, so I got really heavily into using Soothe 1 um, and would kind of very quickly stop using EQ for, for a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and was just, and I used to, the only thing that Soothe One wasn't so good at, just because of how it, it was good at it, but it was just a bit more fiddly with the bottom end because of how the kind of frequency scale was judged. It was, it was more accurate in the top end, and you couldn't get as, as fine in the bottom end. And they really fixed that with Soothe Two. Yeah. Um, and I used Soothe Two across everything. Literally, it, it, it can go anywhere on a mix. It's often on vocal. Um, yes. It's often on things like. Uh, cymbals and overheads and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Um, all over electric guitars routinely on, on that um, sometimes and, and sometimes I use it and I'm really doing an awful lot with it um, and actually sometimes I am changing something drastically or potentially rectifying something that in hindsight I'm, I want to take in a different direction mm. other times it's and, and, you know, for example I've recorded it myself otherwise other times it's just doing very very little but it's a more elegant transparent way of doing something that eq might be a little bit too obvious or yes. or whatnot and, and i find soothe to be invaluable when i get to do mixed tweaks as well so i'm actually just as we're talking i'm just looking at a session i was tweaking yesterday for somebody one of their comments was that the snare drum just seemed almost too dense it was just too like for what it was there was just so much authority in the snare that maybe yeah. they were getting distracted by it and um so i thought okay i don't really want to turn the snare down we all agree it sounds great and it's place in the mix is great it's maybe just too much of that sort of low end yeah yeah it's just got too much kind of like i say just too much impact to me the trick there was to use sue to just take a little bit of the the kind of density in the in the lower end out Mm. and it still has low end and it still sounds like exactly the same snare but now it just doesn't push your speakers quite so hard yes um and it's not it's not pushing the bus compressor quite so hard and the band just felt more happy that the mix was just a little bit more relaxed in that way and and i don't think i don't think an eq would have done the same for me there even a dynamic one i think i needed to be able to take a resonance in the bottom end rather than actual content you know frequency content yeah, in that bottom yeah. end and, and that's where Sue is, is amazing and the other big thing that i really love Sue for is i'll use a lot is the mid side so quite often i'll just do tweaks on the mid channel of the stereo source for example since yes if you might have like a stereo synth pad or an arc edge or something that's Especially if it's if it's a, if it's a soft synth and it's pretty full range and and it kind of has a bit of everything everywhere. 
um, you can you might say, well, it sounds great and it's a big function of the track, but the, it doesn't need all that density in the bottom end or the mid-range of the mid-channel where the snare, kick and bass and vocals are living. So rather than me trying to change that sound or, or erode the good bits about it, I could just use Sue to take it away. And you don't actually hear it. You really can't hear what it's done. It just sounds clearer and, and there's just a huge great big piece of space now in the mix. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it does it does things in a a very simple but quite unique way, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, is have, have you used Spiff as well? Wow, that's um, have, have, obviously that's more for Spiff. more for transients and and um, for I, I would assume more for for drums. But uh, yeah, <coughs> is that have you used a bit of that as well? I have used Spiff. I, I actually use Spiff um, less on drums. I found most of the value in it on vocals and bass, where okay. you have. What's really good on vocal with Spiff is to be able to tell how, I mean, it's a difficult thing to phrase this without being, without visualising it, but whether you want your vocalist to be out in front of the music or in within the music or actually behind the music. Yes. So if you wanted to be out in front of it, you can use Spiff to kind of almost expand the transient a little bit, some plosives just to be like a little bit more present and a bit more literally expanded. Yeah. And although the vocal is the same volume, the kind of, the, 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 the how you perceive the transients is just that bit more in front of the snare and the kick, for example. Okay. Alternatively, you can you can kind of compress or reduce those transients a little bit on, on, on the plosive so that the volume is the vocal is the same volume, same frequency balance, but you're just making those transients that and it's not the same as compressing. It's kind of it's more invisible or transparent that that you make it feel like the vocalist is within the band as a band member rather than a dominant thing outside of the band. Yes, if that makes sense. And same yeah. on bass as well. Yeah, awesome, awesome, man. Would you say that Suv is quite kind of essential in in your in kind of your toolkit at the moment? Then is that is it something that you find yourself oh. picking up quite a lot? Yeah. If I if I if I opened up any any session in the last sort of three years and Suv wasn't in the plug, you see Suv everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think there'd be I think there'd be there'd be a lot of uh, uh, disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really it's one of those things that. On its own, you, I mean, you can you can do loads with it. You can really make it overt that you can hear it. But I, I, I don't tend to use that way. I tend yeah. to be pretty surgical with it. Um, but it's one of those things that lots of little surgical moves across a few weeks worth of mixing really add up to being quite a profound tool, really. Yeah. And if you, like yeah. I said, if you were to do that with EQ, you'd, I think you'd have to spend a lot longer and be a lot more... Yes get a lot more frustrated trying to get it fiddly. trying to automate yeah. things and get it right yeah and just and i don't actually think you can achieve with eq what sooth can do in terms of taking making a sound more dense or less dense yeah yeah no that's great man that's great um i mean that i, th- I think that's most of the things I, I wanted to chat to you about al it's been uh it's been yeah. it's been great tell us a little bit about um what you've got planned i know it's end of the year now um but yeah and i, I imagine there's a few things you maybe can't yet talk to us about but um what have you got planned going into the into the new year is there um yeah if you what's it's on the good. agenda so, so to be honest I'm, I'm kind of more or less working right through this year um i'm about to go in tomorrow with a band a project i'm really really excited about the band and that's called stone in liverpool who, okay um i think they're, they're i'm absolutely excited about them they are they've been kind of um gaining traction and, and they've got an amazing team around them and they're just a fantastic band really they're awesome. proper artists um and i kind of came into the game quite late with that but um really up for it so i've got a couple of tracks uh, that we're going to do with them that'll take me up until the end of this year and then in the new year i start uh, uh mixing an ep for a, a band from Nottingham called vigilantes that again i'm really excited about okay. that is 
that is very much me. It's you know very ambitious guitar music, very authentic, nice. real. Um, but with a this sort of ambitious side comes in. It's it's it, you know it's it's songs for everybody. And that if you kind of get my drift. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Then um then there's uh, another band I've been working with for a long time is is a band called Bedside Manners who we're about to go in in sort of end of January start of February to do an EP with them. Nice. Um, and again they're they're very much like Stone where they've you know really worked hard. They're, they're proper artists in what they do. Um, they really have something to say, and it's it with as. Their, their sort of traction is very hard earned but very much deserved yeah and we've done a string of singles i've done really well on streaming for about two years now and now it's time to really put together a, a more cohesive body of work so an ep it's actually going to be their debut ep oh um, fantastic but it's um that's going to be really exciting so they're the, they're the things i can talk about right now um, and that'll take me until about the sort of second third of february yeah and then who knows after that excellent well yeah at least well you've at least got that to look forward to um to, <laughs> to start off the new year with yeah that's that's brilliant man um al it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today mate thank you so much for uh for your time likewise you're very welcome to Harper. thank you yeah no it's been great and um best of luck with uh you know everything you've got going on at the moment and um if i don't speak to you before then have a wonderful christmas and uh hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll catch up very soon real thanks for me all the best take care mate cheers Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.